At this time, Sean Witt will come with a split sermon titled, Which Road Are You On? Thank you, sir. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to this beautiful Sabbath day we're having. Move this up a little bit. Okay, I have a question for you. Have you ever set out on a journey to a destination where you really had no plan on how to get there? You just figured that you were going to go on your own and not rely on anybody else, and you were going to get there just fine without a map or anything. How'd that work for you? Did you get lost? Did you have to stop and ask for directions or maybe even buy a map? I have a Garmin GPS system that I like to use when I travel, but before that, I would go to the internet and I'd print off our destination on uh, Google Maps or MapQuest. And even before that, I had what was called an atlas. Some of you might know what those are, an atlas. <laughs> Some of the old timers, we don't really, <laughs> I, I'm an old timer too, so, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, pre-90s. <laughs> so anyway. These are tools that help us to get to our destination. Without these tools, we could get off course by just relying on our own understanding and trying to do it on our own. Just like when we travel, as we make our journey through life, if we don't have a plan or a roadmap per se, of where we are going, we can get off course of our destination. We have to know where we are going. And to see where we're going, let's start in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 3. And Jesus tells us he is preparing a place for us. And if we go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and welcome you into my presence so that you also may be where I am. So where is our destination? Well, let's go to Revelation 21, 1 through 7, and we'll read some more about that. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye, there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he sat on his throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirst. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. Now that's a destination spot I can get excited about. How about you? In his wisdom, God has laid out the best road map to salvation and his kingdom through the observance of his annual holy days. In keeping with the road map analogy, we just passed milestone marker one and two. We just kept the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, commemorating Jesus' death, celebrating his resurrection, and renewing of our commitment to God the Father through Jesus' sacrifice. 
As we count the days until Pentecost, I thought it would be a good idea to take a look at some lessons we could learn through the experiences of some fellow travelers on the road of life in biblical times. Significant events happened on different yet specific roads mentioned in the Bible. Let's take a look and see what we can learn. First of all, let's start with the road to Emmaus. So we're going to turn to Luke 24, verses 13 through 17. Now behold, two of them are traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they could not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? The first thing that we can learn from this is that Christ meets us in the midst of our sadness. This was just after Christ had been hung on the cross, on the stake, whichever you feel he was at that time at his crucifixion. So there was great sadness going on at that time. Imagine how hopeless the individuals portrayed in this story must have felt and how all the Christ followers must have felt. But Christ met them right there in the middle of their grief. And he does the same thing for us today, as we see in Psalms 34, verse 18. If you'll please turn with me there. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. How many of us can relate to that? I like the ESV because it uses the word crushed. Crushed in spirit. That indicates something so deep and profound, a situation where you may feel like you have no hope left. But as you know, we do have hope and comfort through Jesus and through God's plan of salvation. But let's get back to what happened on the road to Emmaus. The second thing we need to see is that there was understanding gained. And we can see this in Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. And then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expand, expounded upon to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus was talking about all of this. As the article online put it that I read, the author of the book explained his work, talking about Christ, making connections from scripture to the events that he had recently experienced, we can benefit from the same understanding. And also, as we can see in Psalm 119, verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. So, there is a clue about something practical that we can be doing to make our travels a little better. Study God's word. We see this further in the book of Psalms. So let's turn to Psalms 119, verses 95 through 105. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than my, the ancients because I kept your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. 
How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The third thing we can see is that Christ is revealed. And in the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 28 for 31, still talking about the trip to Emmaus, they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in and stayed with them. And now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Christ meets us on the pages of the Bible in the middle of whatever road we are traveling, and he opens our eyes so that we may know him personally and intimately. He had hid himself from them, and then he revealed himself to them. The fourth, excuse me, the fourth thing we can see is that the testimony is shared. So if we go on in the verse, a little further up, we're going to go to verse 33 through 35 of Luke 24. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, and those who were them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and his, has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. He had revealed himself to them. In the light of Matthew Steele's message a few weeks ago about bread of heaven, and in the light of the timing of the events of the road to Emmaus being just after Jesus' resurrection, and therefore during the Days of Unleavened Bread, it's a fascinating side note that Jesus was revealed to them in the breaking of the bread. I thought that was interesting that when he broke the bread, that was when he revealed himself to them. My point here is, though, is not just like the men Jesus spoke to on the road to Emmaus. We are to share the experience ourselves. We are to have the knowledge we glean from others and strengthen and encourage each other, like they went and encouraged others talking about how they had seen Christ. So we need to share our experiences as well, like they did, to other people to help them and encourage them. This includes members of our church, as well as God may put other people in our path as well to help them. Now, the second road I'd like to talk about is a road to Damascus. And we can find that in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Then Saul, still breathing, threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were on the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembled and astonishedly said, Lord, what do you want to do to me? And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. 
And then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to, into Damascus. The first thing we see in this passage is that we can be on the road for all the wrong reasons. But God can still intercept us. Paul at the time, known as Saul, was on his way to Damascus to persecute followers of Jesus. But God had a plan to put Paul's actions to use. And we can see this in Romans 8, verses 28. And we know all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So he used it as a purpose. Secondly, we may encounter darkness on the road and not be able to see where we're going. Paul was struck blind and had to be led by hand by his traveling companions to reach his destination. What about in our travels as we head toward our final destination? If we can't see clearly around the next bend with our physical eyes, maybe even our spiritual eyes, will we be pulled over on the side of the road too scared to continue? Or will we trust in God that he has a future and a hope for us and continue on in the faith? Will we be humble enough to ask for help for our from our traveling companions if we need it? Just like they led Paul into Damascus. Let's now turn to Acts 9, verses 9 through 11. And Paul was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Taurus. For behold, he is praying. So Paul had been fasting and praying. And during that time that he had lost his sight, you know, I'm probably, he was probably too scared to eat or drink with that all going on. But in all seriousness, given the strict Jewish upbringing that he had, my guess is that he was intentionally fasting and praying, not just too scared to eat or drink. We can follow Paul's example of what to do when we are in need of having our heart transformed or a light shown into the darkness. Speaking of the darkness, um, on my way home from the feast one year, I was traveling with my parents. We were driving around in their van. I may have shared this story with you before, if you've heard it before. Um, bear with me. But uh, their van broke down on the way home, and we were in the middle of nowhere in California. I think we'd just maybe crossed the border into Utah, but uh, out in the middle of nowhere. What, we didn't have a cell phone or anything, so we decided, well, let's just pray. So, of course, we prayed, and uh, right in the middle of the prayer, my dad got up and started to get out of the van. Like, what is he doing? I'm praying here, and he's getting out of the van. I thought, wow, this is crazy. And a tow truck had shown up right in the middle of our prayer. So that was a great faith builder, and it had actually passed in the darkness another vehicle miles ahead that it was supposed to have gone to. They had been broken down for hours, but he came to us first, then uh, loaded us up on his truck, and he says, you're not a Plymouth Voyager. We're like, no, we're a Chevy van. He goes, that's what I was supposed to pick up, but you know, God had a different intention. He wanted him to pick us up first. And on the way back, he came across the, the Voyager van that was there, and gentleman actually started his van and it started right up and he followed us behind the, the tow truck. So it's 
Pretty neat story, answered prayer on the road. So the fourth thing we can see is that sight was restored for a purpose, for Paul. Now let's go to Acts 9, verses 17 through 20. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to me on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he rose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. You know, Paul was blinded for a time when God restored his sight. It wasn't just so he'd have a nice story to keep to himself. He performed that miracle in Paul's life to give him a mighty testimony to share with others and to preach the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. The last thing that we will look at in this example is that there is purpose that was revealed regarding the story to Damascus. So turn with me to Acts 26, verses 14 through 18. And when all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have prepared for you a purpose to make you a minister and a witness, both of these things which you have seen and of the things which you have yet to be revealed to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And they may receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know, when Jesus meets us on the road we are traveling, it is for a purpose. And that purpose will be revealed to us at the appropriate time, in his perfect time. And there may be additional steps we have to take, additional training, translated trials. We must go through in order to be prepared for the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, even though Saul received his commission from Christ on the road, he still had to go to Damascus and be told what to do and meet with Ananias who laid hands on him and received the Holy Spirit and was baptized. And he received, it was also received by the disciples there. And remember that this was after all, he had been fasting for three days and praying when this all took place. So now we have a third road that I'd like to look at. It's regarding the narrow gate and the difficult way. And I'd like to kind of share a side note story I just thought of. On the way into church today, we got off the freeway and we were heading up towards the Flying J, and there was a semi that was right there in kind of a narrow area. And I thought, well, my van will fit through there. So I went right through it, and Kim kind of went like this, oh, what are you doing? That's too narrow. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and I said, well, Matt just did it, because he was behind me. <laughs> and she goes, I don't care what's going on behind us. I care about what's going on in this vehicle. So... <laughs> Interesting story about being on the road and going through the narrow gates. Be careful what you're doing. Don't scare your wife as well. So the third road that we'll look at today is a road that we're supposed to be traveling on. And 
we'll go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the wide gate is broad, that is a way that leads to destruction, and there are too many who go in because the narrow is the gate that is difficult, and the way, which, and this is road as well, which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And it's interesting that if you look it up in the Strong's, um, it says the way is uh, broken down as hondos, meaning a traveled way, which is road, which I thought it was interesting that the way is road. So not only is the road we are traveled on a difficult one, but the gate is narrow as well. But should this surprise us? Not really. If we're paying attention to the following divinely inspired scriptures. So we're going to go to 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 15. Beloved, do not think it is strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. And though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now let's go to Romans 8, verses 15 through 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And finally, from Christ's own lips, John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's a wonderful um, to know that, that he has overcome. And that we can overcome as well through him. But Matthew chapter 7, verses 14 says, Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way, and there are few who find it. So how will we find it? And how will we know what road to take? Because after all, Proverbs 14, verses 12 tells us, you want to go there, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it's the end is the way of death. So we find the answer in the book of Psalms, which is chapter 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And also in Psalm 16, verse 11, you will make known the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. So, what can we learn from the accounts of what happened on these roads? The two travelers on the road to Emmaus and Paul on the road to Damascus. We had two very different encounters of Christ. But we can gain a lot by applying the things we examine today from each encounter in our own lives. A lot happened in these brief encounters. Understanding was gained. Christ was revealed. Testimony was shared. Darkness was encountered. Hearts were transformed. Sight was restored and purpose was revealed. We won't turn there, but also in the book of Luke 10, 33, 30 through 33 tells of another traveler, a man who fell among thieves and was stripped, beaten, and left half to death, only to be passed by several travelers until a Samaritan saw him and had compassion on him. Brethren, not only is the road we travel a difficult one, but it can be a dangerous one too. Not only can we run out of gas or get lost or not be prepared properly, but our enemy is trying to carjack us. 
at every twist on every turn of the road. But if we are properly preparing and spending time close to our relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ, through prayer and Bible study, observing the Holy Day mile markers, and a fellowship with brethren, we are given an incredible opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus, just like the Good Samaritan, towards one another and those in the world, to be a light to the world and to travel the highway of life with us. Ultimately, we too encounter Jesus on the difficult road we travel. The road to New Jerusalem, that holy city entered into only through the straight and narrow gate. We encounter him in our trials, in our triumphs, in times of desperation, in times of peace, and in a million other ways, he personalizes to each one. He makes his presence known. Like our own little love letters, if we take the time to notice the views along the way as we're going down the road. While moving to Oklahoma a few years ago, after three exhausting days, and I don't know why it took us that long. It took us like three days to get here from Utah. It really shouldn't have, but it's... I guess God had a plan for us. He really wanted us to sink, drink it in and like a passage of, I don't know, it was interesting. It just took three days to come here. Uh, driving with two kids, two dogs, a U-Haul, and, and another car in tow. You know, God orchestrated it in such a way as we came into Oklahoma. As we were going down the road, directly above us was a rainbow. Uh, that was clear across the horizon, a double rainbow, in fact. And the road literally took us underneath the symbol of God's promise. It was pretty neat. Yes, the road may be difficult, but it's littered of God's tender mercies. And if he whispers, I love you, just looking around at what you see in nature. And we believe that God put that there for us. And my wife was telling me recently about a painting has an interesting saying on it. It says, the journey is the destination. Now, obviously, we have a specific destination. We are traveling towards being in the kingdom of God. However, in a metaphorical sense, the experiences we go through, good and bad, the character we build and the love we show to one another are all part of the training that will prepare us for the ultimate purpose and what will fully be revealed once we reach that destination. It's kind of like we're driving on our way to the first day of a new job. We don't know what the boss will be like in the new job, but we know that the boss believes in us because he hired us. And we won't know fully what to expect until that we finally arrive at work that day. But we can be sure that all experiences in life on our life resume have been perfectly prepared for our responsibilities that are coming. Once we know the road to take, we must do the following five steps to ensure safe arrival at the destination. These have been adapted from an article that I looked at entitled Journey by Fritz Cherry, and it was on BibleReasons.com. And the number one is trust in God and follow him. And we don't need to turn there, but in Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. Number two, keep the GPS on, God's positioning system. Stay in touch with the one who made the map. And in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Looking up to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us, he endured the cross, despite the shame, 
And he sat down on his right hand on the throne of God after all of that. Number three, keep praying. It's a fuel that keeps you going through the next pit stop. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. Number four, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life and guide your life. Romans 8, verses 26, At the same time, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, because we don't know how to pray for what we need, but the Spirit intercedes along with our groans that cannot be expressed in words. Now we've got number five, meditate on the word. Allow God to guide you through his word. Meditate on his word. And in Psalms 119, verse 105, your word is the lamp to guide my feet and the light for my path. And then if we go to Proverbs 6, verse 23, for the commandment is our lamp and the law is a light and the reproof of instructions are the way of life. In conclusion, as you travel along life's superhighway, be sure to pay attention to the mile markers of God's holy days. But also be diligent and keep in mind the glorious destination we are traveling toward, towards and the highway of holiness that will be there described in the beautiful, it is described beautifully in Isaiah 35 verses 5 through 10. And I'd like to close with that scripture. Isaiah 35 verses 5 through 10. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool. And the thirsty land springs of water, in the habitation of jackals where each lay. And there shall be grass and reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall ravenous beasts go up on it. It shall, be not, it shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy in their heads and shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sight and shall flee away. So, make sure you're on the right road. <laughs>